Okay, so I'm not Dan Dockich. I'm Michelle Tafoya filling in. How are you doing this morning? You awake yet? After watching a couple things last night, the College Football National Championship, and then some of you may have stayed up and watched Jimmy Kimmel. But if you didn't, don't worry. We're going to give you the highlights because there was a doozy of a highlight in his monologue. Has to do with Aaron Rodgers. We'll get to it. David Pollock's going to join us to talk college football, to talk the NFL coaching carousel, which isn't that spinny right now. Like, we've had a couple coaches axed, but let's be honest, last night's national championship game was really about tick-tocking down to when Jim Harbaugh becomes available to be a head coach in the NFL again. I mean, he did what he wanted to do. He took his alma mater back to national championship status. So, so then now what? I mean, I, I just think Jim, you know, he's been in the NFL before. His brother's in the NFL. He wants to get back to the NFL. And what NFL team wouldn't want him at this point? So the question is, where does he go? But first, I mean, we got to give some due to the game. Um, so Donovan Edwards it comes out with these two great touchdown runs to make it 14-3 to early. And I'll tell you, having been a part of a number of big games on television, when you have spent weeks preparing and there's so much promotion and so much hype and all you want is a great game, let me tell you that every ESPN executive, every sponsor, every announcer on that game, everyone in the truck, when it got to 14-3, and then Karam came out with this huge run uh after that and it looked like it was going to be 21 to 3 in a snap everyone was going oh crap what this is going to be a blowout what are we going to do i trust me that is what everyone was going through from the very tippy top of espn all the way down to you know the cable pullers who were doing yeoman's work on the sidelines is this going to be a blowout well, fortunately for everyone, the viewers, the, the network, Washington's defense shored things up, righted the ship a little bit, gave Penix Jr. a chance to, to engineer a drive. And, you know, by halftime, we had a game. And everyone's now going, okay, come on, Washington. We have a game finally. We have a game. So Washington has this momentum. They come back after halftime and bam, they throw a pick. Now, again, credit Washington's defense. They managed to slow things down and not allow Michigan to, to trample until a little bit later. So ultimately, the score showed a blowout, right? Uh, Penix gets hurt. It, it was painful to watch. Uh, things happen. I mean, they had a couple injuries on that team. That, But look, ultimately, it wasn't a great game. It wasn't a terrible game. And so everyone's a winner except for Washington. <laughs> Here's what I don't understand. After the game, and I've been in so many of these situations where the confetti's falling, and you've got one team that is elated, and you've got the other team that is as low as it can possibly be, but they stay out there. Did you notice all the camera shots of the Washington players staying out there? Now, some will tell you, and I've heard this before, we want to know how bitter this is to help motivate us for next year. Okay, you're gluttons for punishment. 
All right. And maybe that will help you next year. But that was, I, 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 why aren't you in the locker room commiserating with your teammates? I don't know. It, it, it's always a strange sight to me to see the losing team stay out on the field. And, uh, but there were plenty of them that stayed out there. Now, the post game is what we were all really kind of waiting to see. We see John Harbaugh, obviously the head coach of the Ravens out there. His parents are, uh, you know, next to Taylor Swift, probably got the most cutaways um, in, a, in a football game this year. But deservedly so. Jack Harbaugh, a coach, influenced his son tremendously, his wife. It, this is, I, I couldn't help but think about this story of this little family of four, the Harbaugh's, growing up in a small house. My father-in-law, my late father-in-law, rest his soul, was uh, a coach all the way up to Division One, and didn't make a lot of money and also had a little family of four. And so I could, you know, I could sort of picture this little house with Jim and John sharing a room and dad and mom saying, who's got it better than us? No one instilling this sort of can-do attitude, this optimism, this this great sense of, you know what, we, we don't have it great, but who has it better? No one, because we have each other. And so for, for whatever it's worth, for as corny as this sounds, this was a really charming moment about an American family who is still living the American dream. And honestly, right now, who has it better than them? Nobody. Your one son just led his alma mater to a national championship. Your other son has the number one seed in the AFC. And a, a beautiful pathway to the Super Bowl. Again, John. So to see all four of them and, you know, it, it was really charming. And one moment in particular, so several years ago, um, I started planning a book. And I started interviewing a bunch of people that I know in the NFL. Coaches, owners, quarterbacks, whoever. And one of the guys I interviewed was John Harbaugh. And the question that I asked John Harbaugh, and it, it's hard for me to imagine that the answer would be much different from Jim, although I didn't ask him. I asked him for the best advice he ever received. And I'm going to tell you what he said. And he got it from his dad, Jack. He said, my dad told me, this is John now, if you want to succeed in coaching, Number one, have passion, love what you do, and you will never work a day in your life. Number two, there will be a lot of coaches way smarter, but you can outwork everyone. And number three, far and away the most important thing, marry wisely. <laughs> and so this little piece of footage from last night shows that Jack Harbaugh really lives what he said. It looks like he married wisely. Um, if you can have this family that believes that no one has it better than them. Let's roll this footage of, of Jack Harbaugh, Mr. and Mrs. Harbaugh, parents of John and Jim uh, after the game. Put up a number one. Put up a number one. There you go. There we go. You hopeless romantic, you can All right. So, I mean, how cute is that? Right? It's adorable. And by the way, Jim looks exactly like his dad. And John pretty much is a mirror image of his mom. 
So that was an adorable moment from last night. But it really, I, I woke up thinking about this this morning, that you have this family. I mean, you've got some, look, the Peyton Manning family, Archie Manning family is another family that has lived the football dream in America. Clay Matthews is another example of a family that has had generations. But this is, this is, this is unique. And it's charming because of the story of the little house with the two boys sharing the room and the mom and dad saying, who has it better than us? Nobody. And I couldn't help but think back to my conversation with John several years ago, the best advice you ever received and what he told me that his dad, Jack, told to him, be passionate, love your job. You'll never work a day in your life. A lot of coaches will be smarter than you, but no one can outwork you. And number three, marry wisely and that might be the most important one well it looks pretty clear to me like this is a this is a really close family now i'm not naive every family has its stuff right every family does and uh i'm sure there were moments where both of those sons when dad was going who has it better than us nobody they were going dad shut up a lot of people have it better than us but right now, as we sit here today in January of 2024, very few people have it better than them in the world of football. And this is uh, this is where it gets interesting now, because Jim Harbaugh is potentially the hottest commodity in sports right now. So you, you got to ask yourself, this is when the sweepstakes begins. What is next? Does he stay at Michigan? I don't think he's sentimental enough to stay at Michigan to try to repeat because he's losing a bunch of players, right? So now maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll stay. He's making a fortune. He's Maybe he's happy. I think he wants back in the NFL in a big way. And it's just knowing what I know about this family and about these two men that I've worked with multiple times. Now, I'm going to tell you straight out, Jim Harbaugh is more difficult to deal with, in my experience, than John Harbaugh. Sometimes you get brothers that are in the same field uh, that are so different. Greg Gumbel, Bryant Gumbel, as different as night and day. Both excel in broadcasting, right? Now you got these two coaches. They're both excellent coaches, but they're pretty different. Now they've got some strains that are the same, but they're pretty different. The bottom line is this, uh, Jim can have whatever Jim wants right now. So the question is, where does he go? Where does this national championship winner go? Uh, so New England becomes very interesting. And yesterday morning, I was on Jim on Bill Belichick watch all morning. What's going to happen to Bill? Is he going to be asked to leave? Is he going to leave on his own? What is it? What's going to happen? And nothing happened. But it could. And this is a, when you've got to fill Bill Belichick's shoes. I mean, who's going to want this job? Now, you need a coach that isn't going to blink at this prospect. Jim Harbaugh's not going to blink. He could step into that situation and be just fine. I think a bigger question, though, becomes the personnel. And does he see in New England, certainly he can't see right now, a team that he could turn into a winner immediately. Does he need to turn him into a winner immediately? I don't know. The other thing about Jim Harbaugh 
and and this is not typical for all coaches. He can put butts in the seats, right? He is a guy who, if he takes over a coaching job, it's going to attract fans. You cannot say that about every coach, but you can say it about Jim Harbaugh because there is this mystique, there is this sense that you've got a winner now. And there is this sense that he's going to do something with this team and we better jump on board. So people are talking about the LA Chargers. All right, that's interesting. They've got a quarterback. They've got some talent, right? We know we've got openings in Washington. We know we've got openings in an opening in Atlanta. So is are there are there more shoes to drop? And we'll talk to David Pollack about this a little bit later as well. Are there other openings that are going to present themselves? And, and you know, let's say that there's a lot of talk about Mike Vrabel going to New England. Okay, if that happens, there's an opening there. Does Harbaugh want that one? I mean, it's it's kind of, it's not all that often that you have a coach who can say, um, I'm going to write my own ticket. But Jim Harbaugh is going to write his own ticket right now, wherever he wants to go. And the phones right now are burning up, and they probably were yesterday before this even happened. But I'm looking at my watch. TikTok, the Jim Harbaugh sweepstakes is on. Congratulations to Michigan. Um, and you know what else? I couldn't help but think. I couldn't help but think. And I'm sure David Pollock's going to agree with me. I think the most dominant performance I've seen. Now, here's the thing. And this is why whenever we get to 12 teams next year, everyone's going to be happier. The most dominant performance I have seen on a football field in the postseason, college postseason this year, was Georgia. Now, I grant you, they were playing arguably the B team from Florida State. But that looked like a team possessed. I mean, they were clearly just so pissed that they, both teams were pissed that they got snubbed. But Georgia probably, I mean, given their entire season, probably deserved to be in that Final Four, maybe more than Florida State did. It's just so, you can debate it for the ages. But uh, we'll, talk to, we'll talk to Pollock about this as well. I'm sure he's got a lot of thoughts about, about Georgia. Okay, so TikTok, how soon does Jim Harbaugh have a new job? And then who replaces him at Michigan? I always wonder when people say, we need a new quarterback, we need a new head coach. Tell me who you want who's going to be better than you got right now. Uh, it's going to be hard to replace Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. It's not impossible, but it's going to be tough. All right, so going back to Black Monday, uh, the commanders fire Ron Rivera. Not surprising. Um I know Ron Rivera well. There's not a more quality individual in the NFL that you're going to find. Wonderful man. Not a good record. Um, four seasons, he's gone. I would imagine that rather than getting, and this is no disrespect to Ron, but after that kind of uh, sort of downward trajectory, he's got health concerns, of course. He's fought cancer, but if he wants to stay in football, I would imagine he'll have a defensive coordinating position uh, if he wants it. So that's Ron Rivera. The Falcons fire Arthur Smith. Not a real huge surprise. Um, Arthur Smith, who wasn't real happy with the way the Saints ended that game the other day. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the Panthers, 
their GM is out. They, they're kind of an open slate right now. What's going to happen there? How are they going to rebuild that front office and that coaching staff? We're going to continue to be on Bill Belichick watch. Um, Wink Martindale resigned as the defensive coordinator of the Giants. Okay. And let me get back to this little bit about New Orleans and Atlanta. So the one thing I saw in the Twitterverse, the Xverse yesterday, like crazy, was why aren't we firing Dennis Allen? And every Saints fan alive was saying, fire Dennis Allen. Fire Dennis Allen. I, I can't help but feel bad for the guy. I, I like coaches, most of them, and they work their asses off, and everyone wants to fire you all the time unless you're winning all the time. I mean, people wanted to fire Mike Tomlin this season. But here was an interesting development, which may say more about the whole Dennis Allen dynamic than, than a lot of stuff. The fact that Jameis Winston and his teammates decided on the field at the end of the game to score another touchdown in spite of the fact that their head coach told them, victory formation, take a knee. Now, this is going to be one of those sports debates that, you know, some people think they they want to just jump into because they like Jameis Winston or they don't like Jameis Winston or whatever. But let's hear from Jameis Winston and his explanation of why the offense, in spite of the direction from their head coach, Dennis Allen, decided to do what they did. Let's let's listen to Jameis. Well, I apologize to DA yeah. because the play was was victory. Yeah. Uh, but I also explained to DA that it was a team decision. Yeah. And uh, and I think when you have the a team morale, and I asked the guys, I said, guys, like, what do you, what do you want to do? Yeah. We know how much Jamal means to this team, and, and I understood from yeah. DA's perspective. So I, I, I give him that. Yeah. yeah but DA didn't condone that at all. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't. However, uh, we decided as a team to do it, and man, we got an interception to the one yard line. Yeah. You know, like. It, yeah. So if 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 we would have scored, would it still would have been disrespectful? Right. You know. So uh, Tyron wasn't in either, was he? No, Tyron was not not in. <laughs> no, but, but it was it was a, it was an offensive mean, team discussion. Uh, however, when you when you return the ball to the one yard line, and you have the opportunity. You just had the opportunity, and uh, and we decided. Do you think it's the kind of thing though that is forgotten fairly quickly, or you know what I mean? I, like, I, I think it should be forgotten, especially when the score is already forty-one seventeen. Uh, so I, I don't know how how much worse it can get. Uh, but I got a ton of respect for Arthur Smith and the coach that he is. Uh, I think they do some incredible things. I didn't mean to. I didn't want to disrespect him. That was not my intention. Uh, my intention was to lead the team that I've been with the entire year, and we made a collective decision that we wanted to get one of our guys who they fight with blood, sweat, and tears every game in the end zone. And uh, I'm going to feel good about that. Yeah. So but, no regrets, huh? No. No regrets. Uh, well, the, this is the thing. It's about the team. It's not about regrets. It's not about anything else. It's about us as a team making a collective decision. But I do apologize to Dennis. I apologize to DA because that was not his call. Would you say Okay, you felt the need to apologize. Why? Because you did something that wasn't cool. Because you went against the wishes of your head coach. Now, I don't know what this says more about or who this says more about, Jameis Winston or Dennis Allen. You respect 
Arthur Smith, but you're going to just score one anyway. I mean, that's kind of the height of disrespect. <laughs> now, look, a lot of people are going to argue. They're going to take Jameis's side and they're going to say, yeah, just go with the got interception to the one yard line. Go, take it across. Take it to the house. Why not? Team wanted to do it. Well, because your head coach said victory formation. And your head coach didn't condone it. The team took over and did it anyway. And this is kind of becoming um, emblematic of stuff where players collectively or individually feel that they know better or are smarter than or their opinion matters more or, hey, it was the whole team decided we should do this. Well, it was the offense, not the whole team. It was the offense that was on the field that decided to do it. And it did piss off Arthur Smith. Oh, talk about adding insult to injury before the guy gets fired. And it did anger your coach, whom you completely ignored and disrespected and did something that he asked you not to do. So this gets into what really is the dynamic there for Dennis Allen. Um, I don't know. I, I Call me old school. That's fine. But I don't think they should have done this. Your coach said victory formation. You, you go victory. But instead, this group decided. And when you say we collectively decided as a team, do you think all 11 of those guys on offense were 100% behind this? Or maybe were, you know, a couple of them swayed? Maybe they just wanted to do it. But it ain't cool. And, you know, you see people on X saying, who are, who's this interviewer, this report? Because the guy in the locker room after the game asked him, you know, what about the disrespect you showed? This is a rivalry. They're not going to forget this. And people were like, who are you to tell Jameis Winston how to play football? This isn't about how to play football. This is about the way you play football, the integrity with which you play the game. The integrity with which you treat your coach and your opponent. The class with which you conduct yourself on the field. So, yeah, it felt really good, I'm sure, to, to score that touchdown. But ultimately, you had to apologize to your head coach. And you had to acknowledge that this may have been disrespectful to the opponent. So, I don't know, man. I, Yeah, if I'm Dennis Allen, I'm pissed. And if I'm Arthur Smith, I'm certainly pissed, although he has a, much more to think about today. And I don't know what his future is going to be at all. Um, so, so there you go. So that adds to the Black Monday mystique. Okay, I promised you David Pollock, and we're going to get to him. We're going to talk about all of this with him. But <laughs> I don't know where to start on this whole story. So I worked at ESPN for 10 years covering Monday Night Football, covering the NBA, Monday Night Countdown, a bunch of shows, a bunch of stuff. I started on a mountain in Kitzbühel covering World Cup skiing. That was my first assignment for ESPN. I broke my arm when I did that. Not skiing, by the way. It's too embarrassing to explain. Okay, so Pat McAfee was hired. His whole show brought on to ESPN. For those of you who don't know, not everyone was thrilled about that. And Pat McAfee is a giant. Now, this is this is another example of when 
you've got a network. You've got ESPN, ABC, a massive network, and you've got layers of executives and they make decisions. And the talent, well, the talent, the announcers, they're kind of the pawns unless they become so popular and so successful and such money makers for the network that they get to tell you what to do or how to do it, or at least collaborate a little bit more. Some of us just followed our marching orders and that's why they call it, you're on assignment, you get your assignment. Someone decides where you're best suited, they put you there and you follow your assignment and you march and you go and you do the best job possible. Other people like Pat McAfee get to sort of, you know, draw their own, paint their own picture. So Pat McAfee uh, has been doing very well in the ratings. He's now, you know, he's on game day, he's on all these different things. And he's got a bone to pick with an executive who's been at ESPN for a long time named Norby Williamson. Pat believes that Norby is a rat. That's his words, not mine. That Norby Williamson has been sort of trying to undermine his show. And he said something last week on his YouTube show about suggesting that Norby Williamson was letting out bad ratings before the actual ratings came out and kind of trying to influence the media and the people watching that McAfee's show wasn't doing all that great when in fact it's doing quite well. Well, never apologized to Norby, never apologized to the network. And not only that, he doubled down on his statements about Norby. It's just, this never would have happened when I was working. Now, I only left television two years ago, but I just, I've never seen anything like this. And later on this week, we'll have Sage Steele, who recently left ESPN, and she and I will talk about this as well, But and I'll talk with David Pollack about it as well. But, you know, he he doesn't regret saying what he said about Norby. There's Pat and his trademark t-shirt. All right, so let, let's let's listen to Pat McAfee talking about this because this takes guts. But when you have the money and the success and the ability to say what I'm not going to say, you can say these things. So let's take a listen to Pat McAfee about Norby Williamson. And the only thing that I'm like super bummed out about it all, sure. is that a guy that we like a lot, a man that watched the game with us in the suite, Burke Magnus, yeah. who is currently new guy in charge at ESPN, right below Jimmy Pitaro. I guess he was kind of made to look bad because of what I did and how I did it. I would like to let everybody know, we love Burke Magnus. Yep, yeah, oh, absolutely. Love Burke Magnus. Love you, Burke. And also love Jimmy Pitaro. Yep. Mm -hmm. Love Bob Iger. What? But there is quite a transition era here, you know, between the old and the new. Mm -hmm. New, new, new. And the old don't like what the new do. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there is certainly going to be a couple of that, but we're very thankful. A lot of people are saying I'm trying to get fired. No way. Whoa. What ESPN has been able to do for us, mm -hmm. more specifically, whenever they do things like this, you have no idea about the crew behind the scenes here that we've been working with basically all year. Not only on game Great. day, but for our show, whenever we're traveling, we got nothing but love for all of these people. Now, there's certainly people we do not like. Certainly. Naturally. And they do not like us. That's how it's going to be. And I don't take back anything that I said about said person. But the overall storyline about us and ESPN, I think people need to remember. We're Bingo. strong. Babe. Bingo. <laughs> I just, I mean, 
All right, look at more power to him. He's built what he's built, and he has built it. And and ESPN wanted to add that to their network, to their roster of talent, to their lineup, and they did. And that means taking everything that comes along with it. But he mentioned a few names. Okay, so Norby Williamson is the guy he does not like. And it sounds like Norby doesn't like him either. I work with Norby a lot. Um, I never had bad interactions with Norby. I certainly understand how this 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 was once in our lifetimes a very tiny little network, the Entertainment Sports Network, and it grew into the worldwide leader, right? The mothership, whatever you want to call it. And Pat McAfee is now part of that. And there's this sort of new generation, Jimmy Pitaro, Burke Magnus, of leadership that are making decisions. And I thought it was interesting last night. I don't know if anyone else noticed this. During the national championship game, they had this shot of Jimmy Pitaro helping give away a check to this teacher's organization. And I thought, is that a little nod to Jimmy Pitaro to make sure, you know, like everything's good. We love Jimmy Pitaro. Jimmy Pitaro is the, the guy. I don't know. I just thought maybe it was related to this. But Pat McAfee apparently can do what he wants and say what he wants. And there doesn't seem to be any repercussions here for him. And as someone asked me recently, how does Norby Williamson now walk around that building in Connecticut, having been just completely, I'll use the word, emasculated in this whole thing? He's been called a rat. I think he was also called a hag. Not real respectful. But there you go. So. The other interesting part of this whole Pat McAfee thing, and part of what has really helped launch him into sort of an exclusive show, is his relationship with Aaron Rodgers. They're very, very close. And you've seen Aaron on Pat's show every week. In fact, he's going to be on today. Can't wait to hear what he says about what went on on Jimmy Kimmel's show last night. So Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel have had this sort of ongoing feud. Aaron doesn't like Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy doesn't like Aaron. And it kind of started. So Jimmy accused Aaron Rodgers of being like this tinfoil hat conspiracy guy. And it, it, it had to do with the vaccines. Remember when Aaron said, I am inoculated or I have been guarded against the, never took the vaccine. He had health concern reasons for not doing it. Let's be honest. A number of people never took the vaccine. Right. Okay. So. That's that. But then it got into this stuff about the Epstein files, the Jeffrey Epstein, Epstein Island, and who's who was going to be on that list. And Aaron became very interested in this story about the Epstein files. And for some reason, Kimmel again comes after him saying, why is he so obsessed with the Epstein files? Then Aaron Rodgers said, well, maybe Jimmy Kimmel's nervous about the Epstein files being opened. That was about the extent of what Aaron said. Maybe he's nervous about the Epstein files. Well, that lit a fire under Jimmy Kimmel. He posted on social media about Aaron saying, you can't call me a pedophile. Aaron didn't call him a pedophile. Not directly. He just said maybe he's nervous about the list. I mean, it, this is a this is a 
I don't know. Jimmy Kimmel makes a living out of tearing people apart. So Jimmy Kimmel last night in his monologue went off on Aaron Rodgers. We've got a snippet to play. This thing is escalating even more. Let's hear from Jimmy Kimmel. I'm not one of those people who thinks athletes and members of the sports media should stick to talking about sports. I think Aaron Rodgers has the right to express any opinion he wants to, but saying someone is a pedophile is not an opinion, nor is it trash talk. Sorry, Pat McAfee. And as far as the, well, you say things about people all the time argument goes, yes, I do. It's not the same. It's not even close to the same. We say a lot of things on this show. We don't make up lies. In fact, we have a team of people who work very hard to sift through facts and reputable sources before I make a joke. And that's an important distinction, a joke about someone, even when that someone is Donald Trump, even a person <laughs> who lies from the minute he wakes up until the minute he's smearing orange makeup on his my pillow at night. Okay, do you have evidence for that, Jimmy Kimmel? Have you fact-checked that? That Donald Trump lies from morning? Now, I'm not a Donald Trump apologist, don't get this twisted. I think what people get ticked about is that everything always comes back to Donald Trump. Couple things about Jimmy Kimmel. Number one, he says he worked in sports. He knows guys like Aaron Rodgers. Jimmy Kimmel barely dabbled in sports. He was like a sports guy on radio at K-Rock, K-R-O-Q in LA a long time ago. Uh, fine. You, I know guys like this. No, you really don't. Um, whatever you think about Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy, you don't know him. And Aaron Rodgers happens to be really smart. He went off on Aaron Rodgers saying it's a guy who went to community college. Like that's supposed to make him dumb. The only A's he got on his report card were the two A's in Aaron. That actually is a very funny joke. I got to give that to them. That's funny. But to just try to paint Aaron. See, this is the issue. This is the culture issue at its core. Jimmy Kimmel thinks he's smarter than you and everyone else, including Aaron Rodgers. Jimmy Kimmel thinks that because he and Aaron Rodgers disagree about stuff, that he is smarter than Aaron Rodgers and that Aaron Rodgers is somehow dumb because Aaron Rodgers went to community college for two years. I know a lot of athletes who do that to get a chance to play so they can move on. I know a lot of smart athletes who have done that. So to make that connection is so, that's just so snobbish. And to suggest that Aaron is stupid because he didn't graduate Cal. Hey, I did graduate Cal. I sent my diploma back because that university has disappointed me so much. So it's just this elitism. It's the, it's the I'm smart because I'm a liberal and you're dumb. And he, and he went into this thing about conservatism. This you didn't hear in, in that snippet. He said, if Aaron, if you're part of this group called conservatives, which Aaron isn't really Aaron's I classify Aaron and I know Aaron pretty well. I've covered him since he was a rookie, got to know him. Well, he's more of a libertarian guy, but he said, if you want to classify yourself as a conservative and then call people pedophiles, 
which he never let's let's I let's get granular here. He never came out and said Jimmy Kimmel's a pedophile. Never said that. Just made an insinuation. Wanted to get under Kimmel's skin, and apparently it worked. But that is the disconnect in America right now, in a nutshell. I believe one way, you believe in another way, and therefore I'm smarter than you and you're stupid. And Kimmel effectively labeled conservatives all mean and stupid last night. And then ultimately, it always comes back to Trump. Always. He couldn't finish his rant about Aaron Rodgers without somehow tying it to Trump. Again, not a Trump apologist. Wish he wasn't running, quite honestly. Uh, but this, this need to always come back to Trump. You could start talking about astrophysics and you'd eventually get back to Trump. How is this possible? Why does this happen? You can't just stay on message with your one point. You have to bring it back to Trump. I don't know. It's a it's a it's a weird freaking time in America. I, that's that's putting it mildly. It's just bizarre world that that this is this is the way that we this is the way that we finish our sentences. Well, at least he's not Trump. Or well, you know what Trump would do. Well, you know Trump's a liar. You know Orange Man bad. It, it's just. It's a little loony to me, Jimmy, that you started with Aaron Rodgers and Epstein Island and you got back to Trump. And by the way, he then rolled in some video of Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein at a party circa, I don't know, 80s, 90s. Didn't mention at all the number of times Bill Clinton had been to Epstein Island. Or anyone else from that side of the aisle, oh no, can't be balanced. Just look look at that guy. orange man bad. I'm not going to talk about Bill Clinton because I love Bill and Hillary Clinton. I, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so predictable and it's so damaging. And I'm, this is the, this is the culture war of our times right now. And there's more, there is more, but this is, this is kind of where we are. All right. We promised you how long? Yeah, we promised you David Pollack. And we got to get to David Pollack. I want to get his thoughts on Harbaugh, both of them, where he goes from here. Belichick, uh, the game last night, the coaching, all, all of it. Georgia, David Pollock's going to join us next. Don't go anywhere. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We welcome David Pollack now. How's it going down there in Georgia? I'm seeing through your window that it might not be the sunniest day. It's a, it's a rainy day for sure. It's not a rainy day in Michigan. Michigan's happy, but here it's not as beautiful. Well, and I wonder how many tears are being shed in Georgia, because as I said early on in this show, David, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, I feel like in the postseason, the most dominant performance I saw by any college team was out of Georgia. And I'm sure you probably agree, <laughs> but I, no, you know, I just so as you watched the game last night, um, were you imagining what could have been for Georgia? Well, here's the thing with Georgia. Georgia's been on the outside looking in several times after great games with Bama and, and great losses where you knew that if they had a rematch or a shot, they could still very much win the national championship. But the one thing Georgia's done is lose late. Like this, this in this playoff era with the final four, if you lose late, you're not going to get in. And, yeah. and that's the unfortunate thing for Georgia. They've had great seasons where it hasn't been punctuated because they've lost in the SEC championship game. They got another chance, you know, two year, or three seasons ago now to, to get redemption with Alabama and they took care of business. So, yeah, Georgia easily looks like one of the best teams. I don't think the game plays out like it did. Michigan, what did Michigan do? They played bully ball, right? Like they're not going to bully Georgia. That's not going to happen. So I think you look at that and you say, yeah, it could have been a great game. But what's the story? Don't lose late in the season. You lose <laughs> late in the season, the committee's not putting you in. Well, next year it expands to 12. So everyone's saying, okay, next year's going to be all better now. We're going to be fine until that 13th team complains. But, you know, we'll see. Um, I, it, it, it was I, – I felt – I really – my heart broke a little bit for, for both the Bulldogs and the, the Florida State Seminoles. But – uh, Michigan, it seemed to be a team destined for this. And I want to get your thoughts on this. How much were you thinking, not only during the game and after the game, but even before the game, hey, the Jim Harbaugh sweepstakes is on. This is all but a matter of time before he's back in the NFL. I think it's coming. I think, um, first of all, Jim is one of the most interesting characters on in the history of the planet. I mean, no question. If, if you spend a little bit of time with him, he's he's quirky, he's different. But I think, like, dealing with all of the things he has to deal with with college, the NIL, the transfer portal has aged all of these coaches like 35 years. So it, it's it's a difficult thing. So I think it makes a lot of sense. A guy that's had – he's already had flirtations. He tried to go to the Vikings, obviously, a couple of years ago. Um, I do think Jim's going to go to the NFL. But I, I tell you what, 
if I was Michigan, I would have been worried before this season. But look at what they just did. Dude, they had they didn't have Jim Harbaugh to start the season. They go through the scandal. They don't have him again. And Sharon Moore does an unbelievable job filling in as an in-room coach, still calling plays, still allowing them to win, to handle every situation. Like, if I'm Michigan now, like, I'm sitting here going, if Jim does leave, it stinks because Jim's a great coach, and he's going to go to the NFL, I think, and and be a great coach. But I have a guy in Sharon Moore that I just saw do it. Like, I just saw him have success in his shoes. So I wouldn't be as upset if I was a Michigan fan. So if you're Michigan, then do you naturally just – elevate more I, I do what what else do I need to see from him first of all he comes in uh, several years ago changes the offensive line culture makes them nasty makes them physical um he handles the pressures of big games like it's not like he didn't coach any big games you know this season right. you're, you're coaching Ohio State like this is a big deal um and, and rose to the occasion got his players ready to play and here's the thing the cheating scandal with Michigan like the hardest thing for us coaches to do is to make teams player led. It's hard. Like if if the coaches are leading the whole ship, you're going. It's not going to be. It's not going to go to the greatest of its ability. The players have to lead the team in some way, shape, or form. Harbaugh getting suspended, it, it, the, the cheating scandal, everybody, all, everybody against us. It made them do this. Sharon Moore made them do this. So I, I, I think it's pretty simple and pretty concrete. Now, listen, does it come with challenges? Yes. Is he going to learn how to learn how to be the main guy? Yes. But I've also seen him in stints do it in big time moments. Well, that's going to be the next interesting question. And, and that does make a lot of sense. And certainly a lot of players would would rally around him. All right. So the landing spot for Jim, he can go anywhere he wants, right? I think pretty much. And so it's a matter of what team is best positioned to to pay him, to receive him. To, it, I'm hearing it's likely not going to be a trade for him as it was for Bill Belichick way back when. So you've got the L.A. Chargers. You've got potentially the New England Patriots. We don't know yet. What's your gut about New England? What do you, you think is going to happen with Bill? Man, isn't it crazy to think about Bill Belichick just being gone and coaching yeah. somewhere else after all he's done? Um, I, I don't know where Jim goes. When, when I look at New England, obviously something's something's wrong. Obviously, yes. when you're hearing all these stuff comes out, like this is a, this is a place in New England that's been a vault. Like that, nothing gets out of New England. Like everything stays in house, and and all the all the murmurings and hearing that stuff. Obviously, there's a reason. Um, you know, something's gone wrong. Nobody thinks Bill's not a great coach. So I think no. if Bill does, if something like that does happen, I think he'll be. Now, listen, I don't think Bill's a good general manager. Like he's done a, a really bad job drafting and they, they haven't done as good a job as they could have done. That's for dang sure. So, but Bill will land on his feet. I, I do think because of all the smoke, I think he'll go. I do think he'll go somewhere else. But Jim Harbaugh, like the Chargers to me is a great job. Yeah. Like, it's a great job. They've had talents the last several years. They've underperformed. They've had injuries. You got a QB in Justin Herbert that you're like, dude, I can I can hitch my wagon to him. Jim is an offensive savant, an offensive genius. Like he's he's probably the antithesis of Brandon Staley too, like yeah. which is a good thing. Like he's going to be very very different. He's not he's going to be he'll be more conservative. He won't go for it on fourth down in his own territory every chance he gets and um maybe so once I, I think, in a while like fourth and seven last night. But but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. I mean so I, I do think I think Jim's going to have his opportunity. He's going to have a job. And listen, he's earned that by the way. Like he's won at Michigan. He won at the 49ers. He's done yes. it with different styles over the years. He's evolved. Like he's he's shown you a little bit of everything that 
I think somebody will be very comfortable, you know, paying him. Shoot, I, I'm right here in Atlanta. Like, we would love to have him at the Atlanta Falcons. Can we break out the checkbook and pay him? That would be phenomenal. I So, can you? Would would Arthur Smith do that? Is this a move? And, and is Atlanta a good fit for either Jim or would you want Bill Belichick if he wanted to come? I mean, we of course Atlanta would take Bill Belichick. I, I think just about anybody would. But here's the thing, like, when you're Atlanta, when you think about the quarterback spot, like the last three seasons, let's go over the, the Falcons' number one picks. Let's do this. Kyle Pitts, yeah. Drake London, Bijan Robinson, all top 10 picks, not a quarterback. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? Like, you've got to get that guy. And, yeah, you get Ritter in the in the later rounds, but it's just, it's just, they've got to figure that out. They've got to do a better job. I mean, I think you saw some things from Arthur Smith, like, they were a tough squad. Like they weren't an easy out. Now the way they finished giving up a half a hundo to New Orleans, that will that will get you fired sometimes. I also think Arthur Blake probably needs to work with somebody um, more similar to him. Um, it might be there might be a little bit of this with Bill Belichick and how much control. You know, oh, that's does he interesting. Want? I mean, Arthur Blake's. You know, he likes to be in the mix. Obviously, right? Like that's a part of it. But um, the personality. Here's the thing about Jim too. Like personality being how he is, he's a little bit quirky, like we talked about. So, you know, he's not for every locker room. No, and he's that's not. A de- that's a decision you go like, do I have good guys in here that are go- that want to win, that are hungry, that know, um, you know, like this is this guy knows what he's talking about. He's just a little bit strange. Listen, I couldn't agree more with you on that assessment of Jim. He is an interesting dude, to say the least. He is not for everyone. There is a reason. You know, he found himself back at Michigan. There's a reason he probably didn't get hired by the Minnesota Vikings, but he produces, right? He gets results. So if you, and by the way, I think I said, would Arthur Smith break out the checkbook? I meant Arthur blank uh, when I said that earlier, but anyway, too many Arthurs. Uh, You know, Jim Harbaugh isn't for everyone, but if you're a team that you want, that wants to win. The other thing about Jim is, you know, people seem to be able to take him in, five-year chunks small doses yeah. but i mean it's like are you gonna do this for the long term so you, you have yeah. to ask yourself that too i think he's a guy who's bound to to move around a little bit i don't know it, 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 he could surprise all of us but i think the chargers make sense uh because they've got a quarterback there who is by the way i think justin herbert knowing him as little as i do but knowing him a little bit having met with him a couple times he is a guy that could deal with Harbaugh, in my estimation. He's I, quirky. Yeah, he's he's quirky. a little bit he's he's a little bit quirky from yeah, Oregon out west, like yeah. west coast. A little bit. Yeah. By the way, speaking from speaking from a person who is not for everybody, <laughs> I can relate. Trust me. Like Jim, he wears people out because he's got he's got a different. He's he's optimistic. Um, he's got a different set of like like he slept on the couch with at a kicker's rec- at a recruit's house. Like he's just. He's going to say some things that are outlandish and he's going to say some things that are strange, but you got to realize like there's also a genius behind the curtain, right? Like we got to understand that there's, there's, there's quirks to him, but this guy's going to help me win. And, and listen, not everybody can do that. Jim wouldn't be for every program in college football. Like no, no. that's just not the way it works. Like, but I think the Michigan culture is a good one for him because first of all, he's ingratiated into that culture. He's, yep. he's a Michigan guy, which I think helps, but they're a blue collar team. Like they're yeah. going to come in and work and grind in kind of an underdog role. So it'll be interesting to watch 
to watch Jim. But I do think Michelle, I think he's also getting older. And I think those turnarounds of those five-year turnarounds and going to another spot, I think those are also coming to an end. So I think you're going to get a, a, a more mature, uh, older, developed version of Jim Harbaugh now in the NFL, which I think will go a long way with his players. That's the other now bringing age into it. Uh, Bill Belichick's no longer a young man. you know. I, I, so when you think about hiring Bill Belichick, you're thinking about maybe a three, four year window in which you'd like to, you've got the talent to do it and you'd like to have a shot at a championship. So that's the kind of scenario Bill Belichick needs too, right? Yeah, he, he needs a similar one. And listen, he's not for everybody either, right? No, he like is he's, not. He's going to be one of those guys that he's going to call everyone out. Like he's going to be in your faith. He's going to be old school. This is a new school generation, right? Yeah. Like they don't like to be called out as much. And and Bill is not scared to do it Bill's way. And you're going to get in line. So that's going to be something that's going to be tough. But you look at the Chargers in a roster that's more readily made to win. Yeah. It's it's more set up. That that makes a lot of sense to me. They're they're hungry to win. Like they they're starving to win. They yeah. feel like they're one thing, one piece away from winning. That's when they come in. And when somebody like him comes in, they go, all right. I know this guy takes me to the next level. It takes me over the top, over the edge. So many close games over the years that they've lost decided by, you know, seven points or 10 points or less. And um, we're right there. If we can just get the guy again, I'm not letting him be the general manager. I'm not doing that. Like if I'm running a franchise, I'm going to make sure there's, there's separation there. And I'm getting somebody good to run that part of it. But Bill's the guy that comes in with a veteran locker room, older guys, Hungry guys that want to win and do whatever it takes. Yeah. And the other thing that the Chargers need to consider, because someone was mentioning this earlier, you play at home and you don't really feel a home field advantage because they yeah. still haven't cultivated their fan base. You add someone like a Bill Belichick or a Jim Harbaugh. Now you got butts in the seats. I, I promise you that there aren't that many coaches. I think you would agree in the NFL or anywhere else who can attract fans but those two guys can, they because they bring promise, they bring excitement, and they bring drama. It dang sure ain't their press conferences, though. <laughs> it ain't going to be their, it ain't going to be their jovial personality. It's no, gonna be, we can win. That's no. why you know people would want to show up. Yeah, and it will not be the press conferences. And you know, if anyone wants advice on how to deal with them at halftime, give me a call. Uh, it's gonna, it's not gonna be easy. Um, but sometimes it'll be worthwhile. All right. I'm thinking if there anything else we haven't hit on, um, tell me about the Pollock Family Foundation, because I want to hit this up before you go. Well, I mean, we, we've done a lot of things here in Georgia. Um, we're actually we did the Banquet of Blessings in November, which was cool on Monday, November 20th. Uh, we but we bust in a bunch of underprivileged and homeless from the surrounding Athens area. We rented out the Classic Center. We served them a meal. Um, we served them a feast, by the way. It was a throwdown. That was awesome. And then they all got coats and sleeping bags and gloves and scarves and hats. And we've actually got our second location next year. We'll be Lynchburg, um, Virginia. Liberty's going to do the second banquet of blessings at the same time we do ours. I actually talked to somebody about doing a a third location yesterday. So. Um, it's just the, the Pollock Family Foundation, and we're just trying to serve those in need and and do our part because not everybody's been as fortunate as as some of us to have a, a sh great shelter, great people around them, a, a great job and success. So we're just trying to fit in where we get in and serve as many people as we possibly can. That's beautiful. And if people want to help out, wh where do they go? 
the pollockfamilyfoundation.com or you can find us everybody's social media savvy now you can find us on social media with the pollock family foundation no question hey it's great to see you uh enjoy the conversation thoroughly we'll hit you up again when things start to get mixing up there and with the atlanta falcons and and anything else that's going on georgia or anything you can talk about anything that's for sure david pollock thank you thank you michelle take care the Pollock Family Foundation, if you want to hit it up, like he said, you can find it anywhere. That's good stuff. I I, I, I love people um, giving back. All right. Georgia now is on my mind because of David Pollock and the Georgia Bulldogs and all of that. There was a shot once at Augusta National that many people call the greatest golf shot in the history of the sport, in the history of the game, whatever you want to call it, sport, game. I think it's a sport. I think it's a game. And it was made by one Tiger Woods. And uh, I want to relive this shot with you to set up this next bit because this shot, which was so perfectly narrated, and, and when I say narrated, I, I mean commented on in with and without words. That's important by Vern Lundquist, the inimitable Vern Lundquist. This golf shot <laughs> did a lot for a lot of people, and it did a lot for the Nike swoosh people. Let's recall Tiger Woods with this chip shot at Augusta. Here it comes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. In your life, have you seen anything like that? No, Vern hadn't then and haven't since. What I love about that that moment with Vern is he says, in your life, have you ever seen anything like that? He didn't say, have you ever seen anything like that in your life? In your life, have you ever seen it? It's just, it's a little bit of poetry there. But after 27 years of a happy, very fruitful relationship, Nike and Tiger are, are no more. They've, they've amicably, they've decoupled or uncoupled or whatever you want to call it these days. They are separating, which leads us to wonder why. It sounds like Nike Golf might be just Nike might just be cutting its golf um, entity away. That it's really not doing anything for it anymore. Uh, and Tiger, there's a company called Grayson that his son wears. Maybe he's going with that, but he's teasing that uh, coming up soon here in LA at a tournament, he might be unveiling what he is doing next. The question about Tiger Woods. Do you still want to see him golf? Serious question. Jack Nicholas once said, I don't want to play ceremonial golf. Meaning, as he got older, he didn't want to just show up to tournaments and play poorly, not compete. Now, it's impossible to get inside the head of Tiger Woods. But I don't know that we've ever seen a greater competitor in the game of golf. And he has overcome a number of situations. I mean, practically collapsing on a course to win a tournament in, in his life. 
But do you want to see him play ceremonial golf? Meaning showing up at a tournament, playing, and 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 the broadcast and the 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 galleries and everyone is so excited the tiger's there, but he plays like crap. Do you want to see that? As someone very close to me said in the last 24 hours, there is a reason Jenna Jameson no longer produces content. Those of you who know who Jenna Jameson is, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know that I want to explain any further, but you guys, you can get on the interweb and find out who Jenna Jameson is. So do you want to see Tiger play? play badly. Why does he play? You know, he's compared himself to Jack Nicholas. but do you want to play ceremonial golf? Do you want to go out there and just play when you can't really play? For some people, it's very difficult to watch. I'm a lot of I'm surrounded by a lot of Tiger Woods fans. I am a Tiger Woods fan. It's it's difficult to watch him play and finish dead last or in the bottom five of any tournament so that's a question you got to ask yourself um that's the tiger story we'll see where that is going uh here's another story this one is very uplifting there was a usa junior hockey team and they won a tournament and they sang the national anthem with all their hearts and it reminded some of us that it is nice to see people take pride in playing for their country, unlike one Megan Rapino. Um, if you remember, Pierce Morgan called out Megan Rapino, and I, I'm not a fan of Megan Rapino. My daughter, who's a huge soccer fan, does not like Megan Rapino. She's all kind, she's all about her. As much as you want to say, oh, she's a team player, da da da. She really makes things about her. And she's knelt for a national anthem. She won't sing the national anthem. So when these young men recently on this junior USA hockey team won and sang, uh, Pierce Morgan tweeted something out. Let's look at his tweet first because he kind of roasts Megan Rapino with this tweet about what it means to put the jersey on, uh, basically saying, you know, if you don't want to sing your national anthem and be proud of the country you're playing for, then don't play for that country. I tend to agree with them. I'm very patriotic and it, it kind of disgusts me when people won't stand or sing for the national anthem. So for a moment of blissfulness, for a moment of goosebumps, you might even shed a tear. If you haven't seen this yet, I I'd like to share it with you. Because this is what it means to compete for the United States of America. Let's look at this junior hockey team. That is a hell of a moment. It harkens back to Lake Placid, 
tip of the cap to my good friend Al Michaels. It harkens back to the movie Miracle with Kurt Russell and Team USA. It harkens back to a time when it was really not only okay to be patriotic, but it was really fun and cool. And I hope those guys bring it back. I love those kids. Every single one of them knew every word to that song. I just love it. Unlike some other teams who show a real lack of judgment. Did you hear about this high school team getting all anti-Semitic? I mean, this is this is crazy. I, I'm so tired of this. I'm tired of the protests at the Holland Tunnel and break, closing down bridges and Susan Sarandon calling everything genocide. And I'm tired of this division and this anti-Israel bent that has permeated higher education and now lower education. I'm talking about high school. This, this is the kind of thing that disgusts me and it actually keeps me awake at night because I feel like kids are learning at a very young age to be hateful, to separate people because of immutable characteristics. Now, I don't know how that's helpful to anyone in in functioning in the world later on basketball coach and player dismissed after high school game ends early due to sickening anti-Semitic abuse with opponents from Jewish school, allegedly taunted with cry of I support Hamas. I I'm always amazed that kids whose brains aren't even fully developed are taught and absorb this crap. So a public high school in Yonkers, New York, has fired a girls basketball coach and kicked a player off the team after an incident involving a Jewish high school where anti-Semitic slurs were used. During a Thursday night game between Roosevelt High School, a public school in Yonkers, and the LaFell School, a private Jewish school in the suburb of Hartsdale, Roosevelt players used anti-Jewish slurs against their opponents. According to the New York Post, one Roosevelt player allegedly said, I support Hamas, you effing Jew. These kids don't even know what they're talking about. They don't know the difference between Palestinians and Hamas. They don't know what they're talking about. Who told them that this was okay to say? That coach should have been fired. That kid should not only be kicked off the team, but maybe expelled. Messages need to be sent that this stuff can't fly. I, I, just, I, I keep asking myself how we got here. I mean, it seems to me we are in the depths of something right now. That is sick. That is sick. So you've got that going on and then you've got this situation at the border which we've been watching and has been particular interest to me now we think of our country as a country of immigrants yeah legal immigrants preferably as my ancestors were my last name tafoya is not a typical american name it came from the basque region of spain and my grandparents came to america legally okay but it seems to me that legal immigration is just really no one's concern anymore. We've got what's going on at the southern border 
uh, which is crazy. Crazy numbers coming across. And thanking Joe Biden and catch and release and Customs and Border Patrol can't do their jobs. And drone footage is astonishing. And the numbers are jaw-dropping. And the sanctuary states and cities that once said, we welcome everyone, are fed up and asking for help for the, from the federal government to pay for this. And anytime someone asks for the federal government to pay for something, they're asking you to pay for it. The federal government's money, after all, comes from you, the taxpayers. So AOC <laughs> was on The Daily Show. And um, this is the last thing we'll get to. And I almost hate to leave on a bad note, but I want to make you think. Y you know, you often think, oh, it's one politician. Can they really make a difference? But when you see what's going on and you see the tangible, if you live in New York, if you live in Chicago, and come, if you live in L.A., if you've lived in California for the last 50 years, you know, if you live in Texas, if you live in Denver, and every state now is a border state, you know what's happening. Not only is it attracting people into a very dangerous crossing, it's empowering the drug cartels. They, they just own us at the southern border. That is so embarrassing. And it, it should piss you off. This isn't just about the people who are crossing. Because there is a legal process by which they could do this. And legal immigrants have to be just absolutely outraged by this, that they have gone through everything the right way and people are just being released into the country after their first act is an illegal one, crossing the border. This isn't about being uncaring. This is about protecting the country. So AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is on The Daily Show. And let's hear what she said. From all parts of the political spectrum, one of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to immigration is the fact that we have an undocumented population. Mm -hmm. Now, you can fix that by trying to build a wall, or you can fix that by trying to document people and create a path to citizenship. Mm -hmm. And... Um, That might say, look at these systems, you know, that our shelter system has weight and things like that. But one of the reasons that our public systems experience weight is because people don't have a documented and reliable path to work and sustain themselves, mm -hmm. just like all of our ancestors did and our, and our grandparents and great-grandparents. The difference, again, AOC, is that they did it legally. My grandparents did it legally. My ancestors did it legally. There is a difference. I love how she uses words to get around this. We have an, a problem of undocumented workers, so let's just document them. Undocumented. That's, that's the term to make it sound very benign. Sorry, but among those undocumented people who've come across are people who want to do bad things. People on the terrorist watch list have gotten across Alexandria. So this isn't just about people who want to come here and work. And if you tell the whole world, yes, come here and work, look, we, can, we only have so much 
in the terms of resources. We only have so many hospitals. We only have so many public schools. It's not as though you can welcome in the entire world and not have to make severe adjustments. And by the way, this is happening at the expense of a bunch of citizens who have not only lived here, were born here, and are citizens, some of them actually fought for this country and lost limbs doing so. And what about them? I don't see you fighting for them, AOC. When Trump was in office, AOC went down to the border and came out crying, saying that people were drinking out of the toilets. Never verified. We had Biden, Joe Biden, the president, accuse these CBP guys on horseback of whipping Haitian migrants, Haitian migrants. It's been disproven. He never apologized. Is this, is this just the plan? Oh, the only problem is, is that they're undocumented. So let's just document them. I mean, that's basically what's happening down there anyway. They're getting this little thing that says, here's your notice to appear. And maybe they're getting a phone. Who knows what else? I, I, I think people are really frustrated. And to simplify it by saying, we either build a wall or we just document everyone is so short-sighted. It's that there are only two ideas that, that can work. That's it. You either build a wall or you document them. That is such a false choice. We have a million ways to solve this problem. But that's not what she wants. She wants to make herself sound like the virtuous one who welcomes everybody, no matter what kind of harm they want to cause. Someone said after October 7th in Israel, someone here in the States said to me, it makes you wonder if it could ever happen here in America. Do you really have to wonder that much? It happened on 9-11 and it could happen again. Man, I hope we smarten up. I hope we get a straighter spine. I hope we do the right things. She, she got her applause line. Good for her on The Daily Show. Whatever. All right. There's something to think about. It, it, you know what? If it puts a little boil in your belly, I'm glad. I'm glad. We'll leave it at that. I've had a lot of fun today. We're going to have fun all week. Tyrus is going to join us. Will Kane is going to join us on Friday. Sage Steel on Thursday. We're going to cover everything. Forward and backward, up and down. Thanks for letting me sit in for Dan, who would say, don't at me. Dan, hope you're doing great. And we'll see you tomorrow.